Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I encourage you to visit the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Naples Illustrated, bringing you infinite luxury lifestyles. The website is naplesillustrated.com. Com. Well, we've got a lot to talk about today, and we've got great guests to do it, including Mark Shulman. Mark is uh, in Israel right now in Tel Aviv. He's the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. We'll be talking about current world events. Larry Reed is the uh, president emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. We'll be talking about how the founders responded to an epidemic in the nation's capital. No, it wasn't Washington, D.C. back in the day of 1793. And we'll visit with Jim McTagg. Jim is a former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author of a couple of books. His latest, Shake the Money Tree. It is June the 1st. Can you believe it already? And on this day in 1942, a Warsaw underground newspaper, the Liberty Brigade, made public the news of the gassing of tens of thousands of Jews at Chilmno, a Nazi-operated death camp in Poland, almost seven months after extermination of prisoners began. A year earlier, the means of affecting what would become the final solution, the mass extermination of European Jews, was devised. 700 Jews were murdered by channeling gas fumes back into a van used to transport them to a village of Chelmno. In Poland, this gas van would become the death chamber for a total of 360,000 Jews from more than 200 communities in Poland. The Nazis preferred this form of extermination because it was silent and invisible. One month before the infamous Wan Sea Conference of January 1942, during which Nazi officials decided to address formally the Jewish question, the gas vans in Chelmno were used to kill up to a thousand Jews a day. The vans provided the final solution for Adolf Eichmann and other Wansi attendees. The mass gassings were the most orderly and systematic means of eliminating European Jewry. Eventually, more such vans were employed in other parts of Poland. There was no thought of selecting out the fit from the unfit for slave labor, as is in Auschwitz. These were all, the only goal was utter extermination. It makes me sick to say this. On June the 1st, 1942, the story of the young Jew, Emanuel Rangenblum, who escaped from the Chelmno death camp after being forced to bury bodies as they were thrown out of gas vans, was published in an underground Polish newspaper, the Liberty Brigade. The West now knew that the blood-curdling news about the slaughter of Jews, and it had been named Chelmno, the news broke on this day in 1942. We have a dark side that is tamed by socialization and the rule of law. How horrible that a group of humans... Yes, the Nazis were humans, committed genocide. Awful story. So let's talk about the dark side of human nature that is infecting us right now. Of course, George Floyd uh, protesters are continuing across America after former police officer Derek Chauvin was early arrested and charged with the third-degree murder and manslaughter. Peaceful protests are understandable, and they're happening around the nation. But along with that, we've witnessed over the weekend uh, what has little to do with George Floyd. In fact, I would suspect a lot of these uh, marauders and looters don't even know who he is. It's a domestic terrorism and anarchy that's going on. Minnesota Governor Walz estimates that about 80% of those being destructive are from outside the state. Our hearts and our solidarity are with folks who understand what's happened uh, Monday night in George Floyd. But these folks are not with them, St. Paul Mayor Melvin Carter said. Every per single person we arrested last night, I'm told, was from out of state. Well, the jail records don't exactly back that up. In fact, 38 of the 45 individuals arrested that night or have addresses in Minnesota. Uh, they're right, they are being charged for rioting, unlawful assembly, stolen property, burglary, or robbery. So why the spin? Why is this going on? Well, the professionally managed so-called protesters at the White House had little to do with the memory of George Floyd, tweeted the president. They were just there to cause trouble. The Secret Service handled them easily. Now, as, I rem as a reminder next year, because I have a theory about this, former Milwaukee County Sheriff David Clark in December 2017 said that George Soros had hijacked the Black Lives Matter organization in order to promote anti-capitalism. 
This has George Soros funding written all over it, his movement, the anti-capitalism movement, the Antifa socialist movement that hijacked Black Lives Matter, and they are using it as a mask. Well, it looks like George Soros is back at it again. Uh, these were outbreaks in Washington, D.C., Oakland, San Diego, Detroit, and other major metropolitan areas. These weren't protests. They were acts of domestic violence planned and perpetrated by the likes of Black Lives Matter, Antifa, and other George Soros-funded-like organizations. I just encourage you to check out uh, the Open Society Foundations and Google George Soros and take a look and see what he funds. Now, here's my theory of what's going on. Paid community organizers, you might remember President Barack Obama was a paid community organizer. Well, they've recruited these domestic terrorists by promoting a worldview of international socialism bordering on anarchy. I just encourage you to check out independentsocialgroup.org. That's independentsocialgroup.org. A flyer was found during one of the clashes with the police in Minneapolis from this group. We see the uh, global capitalist system as the root cause, now I'm quoting now from the independent socialist group uh, flyer, we see the global capitalist system as a root cause of economic crisis, poverty, discrimination, war, and environmental destruction. As capitalism moves deeper into crisis, a new generation of workers and youth must join together to take the economy into public ownership under democratic control by the people in order to plan production for the needs of society and continued survival of the planet. <laughs> Gee, uh, the struggle against the worldwide system of capitalism needs to be uh, international, and we need to link our fight to the working classes of all countries and to build solidarity uh, with socialists and workers and organizations across the globe. Now, so this is the message, and this is what they're fighting for. No doubt these community organizers held rallies, trained to say they recruited training sessions to sell their message, to fan the flames of indignation about capitalism and build group think with these people. We found on Twitter, uh, page 13 of a 26-page document signed on April the 16th, outlining the tactics for the acts of domestic terrorism contained topics such as approved practices, hand-to-hand -hand combat, aggressiveness, and it states a brief debrief will occur uh, with representatives at ActPoint Gamma Prime. Do not demobilize until instructed by the Agitorg or hire through, uh, as reiterated in the earlier portions of this document. This is also well organized. Rioters in uh, Dallas. Atlanta and elsewhere, were pre-planned pre by radical leftist organizations. Organizers were directed, uh, directing the crowd where to go. As an example, they had pallets of 100 bricks ready for rioters as strategic locations and were yelling to the crowd, go left, there's 100 bricks over on the court over there. Yeah, that really happened. This wasn't random chaos, and it was not grassroots. I found on Twitter a video of one of the organizers handing out money after the havoc created in Columbus, Ohio. Now, where did the money come from? Why were the acts of domestic violence happening in cities where Democrat elected officials? Because they know they were no, there'd be no retaliation. Isn't it ironic that the cities that had the most draconian lockdown measures because of coronavirus or COVID-19 are the same cities encouraging protests? The police in Precinct 3 in Minneapolis abandoned the building, allowing the terrorists to ransack the place. The mayor encouraged protesters to wear masks and to socially distance. Is he kidding? <laughs> Where's the leadership here? Far-left Nashville Mayor John Cooper urged people to join him in Black Lives Matter protests in downtown Nashville on that Saturday. Mayor Cooper posted a tweet saying they should all join in. Well, just eight hours later, these same leftists and Black Lives Matter protesters torched City Hall and the Nashville Courthouse. These violent thugs could care less whether they're heard. They are committed to destroying capitalism and our way of life. Remember the community organizers fanning the flames? The FBI and the DOJ will get to the bottom of this. Attorney well, William, General William Barr said on Saturday, it appears that many places across the United States are seeing violent protests spurred as anarchic and far-left extremist groups. During a brief public appearance at the Justice Department, he said the agitators are using Antifa-like tactics and that many of them are traveling from out of state to participate in the protests. Barr, who did not take any questions, noted that such individuals could be committing federal crimes and asserted that authorities will be enforcing the law. 
In a press release, he continued, federal law enforcement actions will be directed at apprehending and charging the violent radical agitators who have hijacked peaceful protests and are engaged in violations of federal law. He actually said that uh, to identify organizers, well, they're going to use the 56 Regional FBI Joint Terrorism Task Force. I think there's some of these people going to get knocks on the door here in the next few days. The violence instigated and carried out by Antifa and other radical groups in connection with the rioting is domestic terrorism and will be treated accordingly. And... Uh, which is great news, the United States of America will be designating Antifa as a terror, terrorist organization, tweeted Trump. Uh, he had a great speech in, uh, I don't know if you saw the space launch, but that's the other side of the coin. What a great time for America to see this private enterprise, SpaceX, launch uh, and uh, be successful and actually hook up uh, later with the... Uh, spacecraft it's just amazing to me what's going on here in the united states but i think right now if you if you agree with me that this is all planned orchestrated bunch of anarchists trying to tear down america i think the fbi and department of justice and we'll get to the bottom of this ironically markets <laughs> the Dow jones industrial average is sitting at about even right now so apparently the the financial markets are sloughing all this off this segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Naples Illustrated, bringing you infinite luxury lifestyles. The website is naplesillustrated.com. Coming up, we're going to visit with Mark Schulman. He's the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. We'll be talking about current world events. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Shore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards with six full productions this season. But did you know that Gulf Shore Playhouse brings unique theater education programs and opportunities for children, teens, and adults alike? Education is a vital component of Gulf Shore Playhouse's mission, providing programs aimed at enriching the lives of our children, teens, and students of all ages. Each offering provides real-life skills and learning experiences that are invigorating, nurturing, and readily accessible to every member of our community thanks to the scholarships and reduced-price programming for our region's most deserving students. From in-school residencies and pre-professional theater training to community partnerships, audience engagement, and student matinees. The goal is to inspire creativity, encourage self-expression, and support the blossoming of self-confidence, collaboration, and a deep appreciation for the arts. With each passing year, Gulf Shore Playhouse continues to touch the lives of tens of thousands of students throughout Southwest Florida. Isn't it time that a young person in your life finds out more? For more information about student camps and the Teen Conservatory, visit the website golfshoreplayhouse.org. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse. Congratulations, Gulf Shore Playhouse. The Smith family, a million-dollar donation towards the new 
uh, uh, Golf Shore Playhouse Performance Center in downtown Naples. Uh, visit golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Larry Reed, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Right now, we have with us Mark Schulman. Mark is an author. He's written several books, mainly on past presidents. He's also the founder and publisher of a terrific website, multimedia website. I encourage you to visit. It's historycentral.com. He's right now in Tel Aviv, probably, I think, for about the sixth or seventh straight week. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Bob. Thank you, Mark. So there's so much going on here in the United States, but our, our visit today gives us a chance to talk about what's happening in other parts of the world. I think it's important to start off with Hong Kong. Hong Kong, absolutely. Uh, in Hong Kong, the Chinese government is trying to pretty much eliminate the special status of Hong Kong in terms of laws and protections of people and and those sort of matters. Um, and the China, look, uh, the world is looking is busy with other things. The United States is in deep trouble, so they're going to make use of the time to to exert their muscles. They've also talked. They've also made some threatening comments vis-a-vis Taiwan, and um, they're the big boy on the block. And who's going to stop them? Is is what people are, what they're basically saying. Um, and the people in Hong Kong, of course, are very worried. The British are offering additional um, additional state. People in Hong Kong, a lot of them are British, a, a strange sort of semi-British citizenship, so they're now allowing them to have greater British citizenship. I think the United States should offer all the people in Hong Kong who want to come to the United States to come give them visas and work visas. They're hard, industrious, working people. Yes. Freedom-loving, and that's would be the slot, you know, let them all come to the United States. Uh, you know, I think uh, definitely who you want coming to the United States are people who are industrious. And uh, the, when I went to Hong Kong, my experience, it looked like a beehive of capitalism. I mean, it was just an unbelievable experience. So it's unfortunate what the communist Chinese are doing to that province. It's just unbelievable. And, uh, you know, they've only got another 23 years, which is nothing uh, to to allow them to have their independence. I guess the assumption was early on that somehow, some way, Hong Kong or uh, Chinese, the communist Chinese, would come to their senses and join the uh, industrial world. Uh, well, they've done that, but they're doing it with. Uh, they've done that. It's a question of the political system. Yeah. I mean, they've managed to maintain well, communist rule um, and a totalitarian system when it comes to political matters, while having a reasonably liberal uh, economic system. It's not a communist country. Let's, let's, you know, we should never talk about China as communist. You know, the communist party, quote unquote. But you could, you could call it any party you want. There's nothing communist about the way China is run. There's sta- it's maybe a statist com- uh, country with the state capitalism, where you have large corporate state entities um, that exist. Um, but they exist side by side with many private enterprises. Uh, so, so, Mark, riddle me this then: uh, How would you rate human uh, uh, freedom and, and liberty in in uh, communist China? Um, okay, so when it comes to political freedom, on a one to ten scale, one being the least, ten being the most, they, they're in the one or two yeah. two zone. When it comes to personal liberty, in other words, the ability to travel, um, those sort of matters. They're probably at a seven or eight. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it comes to the ability to speak out freely, they're, you know, back down to one or two. So, so how about so, the social social rating system that's being imposed on the Chinese right now? The ability to travel and these other freedoms are very much dependent upon whether you toe the line. Well, it's, it's social to some extent, but I don't know. You know, it's, it's a slippery slope, right? I mean, we have our credit rating systems, right, which are a different version of social ratings. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm again. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that what they're doing is right. I think it's very problematic, etc. But you know, different countries have imposed different things, and the United States is not totally clean when it comes to those matters. And as we know, you have credit ratings and mistakes that are made, and all those issues that take place, and the exchange of data that now takes place in the United States between social media companies and credit companies, and all these sort of things. We're also losing a certain amount of our freedom, no, privacy, you, no. and liberty as well. I would like to uh, definitely acknowledge that, but I don't think it's happening like uh, with the government on, well, I, let me second guess myself here. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. We don't know, you know. Yeah, it's, it's so true. So, well, in any event, uh, it's a, it's atrocious to see what's happening to Hong Kong. I mean, the, the, the capitalism, what's happened there. Uh, I think that, my personal opinion, I think there's going to be flight from Hong Kong and it's going to end up uh, 
dissipating the great wealth and the and the industry and the markets that are happening in Hong Kong. Oh, I have no doubt, and I would think we should encourage it. Yeah, I do too. Yeah. Well, as I see, who no. one of the uh, one country already said maybe it was uh, Great Britain said. Uh, Great Britain said that Great Britain definitely said they were going to extend like a permanent uh, residency uh, without visa or some something of that nature. And we really should do something similar. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, well, to, to your point, though, I think right now uh, personal liberty is in crisis right now with big tech and what's happening with information about us, and we really need to figure this out because uh, right now we're, we're losing our privacy. That's not necessarily losing no, our liberty. No, absolutely. There is no excuse why the United States government has not passed extremely strong privacy legislation aimed right. at big tech. Right. I agree with that. You, know, you, start, you can argue about breaking them up, technology. We can have long arguments about the pluses and minuses. I am waiting for someone to give me a strong reason why there shouldn't be very strong legislation when it comes to privacy. Well, I agree with that, and I, I think on the first step right now, we see the president coming out and speaking about Section 230 and what's happening with regard to the public. Yeah, but that's not. The, 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 that was just nonsensical. He just did that because he was angry. That Section 230 is not the problem. Privacy legislation. Do not allow them to share data. Do not let them share your personal information. Make them legally responsible for keeping your personal data personal. Um, do not allow them to track you. Why do they? Why do they have the ability to track you between websites? Mm-hmm. You know, there is a I- interesting study that was done. They claim, well, we need it for advertising. Do you know what the difference in click rate? Do you know what click click rate is when you click on ads? Mm-hmm. So if it's not, if you haven't been personally tracked as opposed to random ads that don't relate to where you've been, the difference in click rate is 1%. So they're going to get 1% less in ad revenue if they don't track us? Why should they be allowed to track us? Mm. Complicated. Complicated. I don't even think those are so complicated, frankly. Those are pretty straightforward. It'll hurt their bottom lines slightly, but it'll give all of us a great deal of more personal uh, freedom and knowledge that what we're doing isn't being tracked by people, isn't being... Uh, traded it isn't being you know that there are all sorts of exchanges to exchange our personal data and our mm-hmm. browsing history and what websites we visited and everything else like that why should that even exist i don't have a lot of confidence that, con- that congress can, can <laughs> face this issue no, i'm sorry so you know listen you can have confidence and not confidence in congress or the presidency whoever it might be but that's what the federal government is there to do you're right to an to, to, to legislate we can argue if it's good or bad but they should be legislating a a bill that relates to personal privacy, and it should affect all these different matters. Yeah. It may not be the perfect bill, but it should hopefully be better than nothing, and hopefully it'll be a good bill. Right. So and, uh, it's not a partisan issue, right? We're, what are the differences between Republicans and Democrats about this issue? I haven't found any. No, I haven't either. And I, I must say, Mark, uh, I think this is such an important issue, and hopefully our listeners right now at at, at, at 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 least can understand how important this issue is. I do want to talk to you about COVID-19, what's happening around the world, and arms control talks. Can you stick around? Absolutely, Bob. All right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the uh, Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice are the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit blueprovencenaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's blueprovencenaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples.
Do you have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by St. Matthew's House. It's just such a terrific organization, of course, with everything that's going on. A lot of people that are homeless in need of food, and uh, the need has jumped in the last month or so. I just encourage you to visit St. Matthew's House, stmatthewshouse.org, and also visit their businesses that are open for business right now. And Lulubee's uh, Diner, which uh, is a great supporter of St. Matthew's House. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Jim McTagg. He is the author of Shake the Money Tree. Right now, we continue the conversation with Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. Again, Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Bob. So, Mark, let's talk about the nuclear arms talks that are uh, starting up. I mean, we've got a history going back to the 70s of trying to uh, figure out how to work with and, and agreements that have been signed. What's going on, and what are your thoughts? I don't really understand, to be honest with you. I don't understand, and neither do very many other people, what exactly has happened. The United States seems to have rejected almost all the agreements that we currently have mm-hmm. um, and is walking away from those agreements, um, which make little or no sense to me. I mean, I have no doubt that the Russians and you know have always cheated a little bit, but by and large, these things have, have worked for 50 years now in various ways. I mean, the first agreement was the uh, test ban treaty that uh, President Kennedy signed that uh, stopped test, you know, test, New, um, testing in the air, mm-hmm. and we're going systematically unraveling all of these agreements, mm-hmm. and it's not totally clear to me to what end this is all about. I mean, yeah. um, there's something that uh, makes no sense here, and I think it's just a mistake. I think we need to keep the agreements that we currently have. If we want to improve upon them, we should open up negotiations you know, say, here our current agreements stand, but let's negotiate some addendums to the agreement or something of that nature instead yeah. of allowing these agreements to uh, to end and then you know hopefully we'll get a better agreement in the future i mean why why would we get a better agreement in the future mm-hmm. and then there was the other claim made recently that we we'll, we can outspend uh the russians and the chinese well maybe the russians but i don't know if we can outspend the chinese and look at our current de- budget deficit outspending anybody does not seem like a good plan at the moment I agree. This uh, this discussion is somewhat above my pay grade, quite frankly. I have been looking into arms control talks, but I appreciate your, uh, you know, informing us about what your concerns might be about this. Uh, you know, again, I come back to the one thing that I, I'm, this is just the tactic or the style that the president uses in any kind of negotiations in making a deal. He always goes yeah, out to yeah, the... Yeah, but, but, you know, it's all very nice, but, you know, other than a better NAFTA, which was marginally better. There's no question the new NAFTA is marginally better. He's been president now for three and a half years. And how many better deals have we had? Well, So what, what happens? We end up, you know, you know, maybe if he gets another four years, maybe he'll get better agreements. Or what if he doesn't get another four years? And we're left with a lot of agreements that have fallen apart and leave it to the next person to try to put them back together again? Uh, I don't get it. it doesn't, I'm a strong believer that that if it's not broken, you don't replace it. Well, and if it's broken, you fix it. You don't throw it out. Yeah. So I, mean, the, uh, I think you'll agree, though, that his point of view is that we've chased a lot of businesses and jobs out of the country by virtue of the agreements we've signed in the past. They're not good for America, and we need to re- renegotiate these agreements, including especially with, uh, with, uh, uh, with uh, uh, China. Right, but the problem with China is we've, we've lost the rest of the world. We're doing this single-handedly, and I think we're seeing, you know, 
The Chinese, this goes back to the Hong Kong thing, by the way, uh, the Chinese have now told their state companies, we're talking about state companies, um, to stop buying American hog and soybeans because the United States has threatened uh, action to, uh, to Hong Kong companies and treat them as if they're part of China. So China is now going to walk away from their agreement to buy American agricultural goods. Mm-hmm. So where do we stand after all of this? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you know, that's, I mean let's, 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 the things that have happened with the coronavirus, COVID-19, the other things that have occurred right now have a big impact on our agreements with China. I think we're relooking at that right now, and uh, uh, this has created kind of a world crisis, and I think that China has put itself in a pretty bad position when it comes to negotiations and dealing with the rest of the world. Uh, to some extent, on your hand, they're the ones that came out of this first. You know, they were the their response was the strongest and most extreme of any country in the world, and they managed to get the virus under control and go back to normal more than any other country in the world. So, who's coming out of this strongest at the moment? It's an interesting question. Yeah. Um, now you can have all sorts of theories of why, etc., but that's the result on the ground is. The Chinese economy will be probably the first one to grow again if they can have customers, which is a different story. Keep that in mind. You can't grow without customers. And um, we, on the other end, I don't think they've spent nearly the kind of percentage of GNP as we did just now to try to just bridge the gap during this crisis. Yeah, but I think that, uh, that, that you're making good points, but it also ignores the fact that uh, uh the, that the uh, Chinese, or, or China, communist China at least, uh, allowed the disease to spread when they could have prevented it around the world, I'm saying. And, of course... That's also a bit in, a bit in question. I mean, they, they shut things down as soon as they, they actually knew. Um, I, I don't know, you know, we, we kept our borders open from all over... We in the United States, not in Israel, which is a different story, kept the borders open for a long time and never even... To this day, as far as I understand it, we're, we are still fighting over who's going to take care of people when they arrive. And then at least from what I understand, in JFK and Newark Airport, people are arriving from overseas and they're just being given a piece of paper and suggesting they self-quarantine. Mm. That's it. So believe me, when a plane lands in China, and, uh, and I've seen examples of that, they take people, they immediately test them, they put them into quarantine for 14 hours until they get the test results back, and that's it. Mm-hmm. So they have their act together. We still don't, though. You know, how many months later, and we still don't have our our act together for people coming into the country from outside. Not to mention all the things that are going wrong inside in terms of this. So, you know, we can say they're a different system and they can work better at it, but the reality is they took they did a much better job. And well, now Sweden uh, Sweden actually allowed uh, did not close down its economy. Actually, experienced growth in the last quarter compared to other countries around the world that closed they, down. No, I don't know where that number is from. The, the Swedish economy is expected to do worse than the other Scandinavian countries. I think the results are already out and reported. I think the results no, are that, already. That, that's, that's fake. It's not. It's not real. Sweden is expected to go down more than the other three three Scandinavian countries. Um, well, the, the, the important they point didn't here. Close. You have to understand something. There is closing when you force people to close, and there's closing because people don't come out. Which and the and latter the is the latter is superior, in my opinion. And I think that's it ex- is if people follow it. But the, but the Americans are not as good at these things as Swedes are, frankly. You know, <laughs> Swedes don't have this um, this personal um, liberty. Streak that that's so important to the American psyche, mm-hmm. and no one and they don't go around thinking no one's going to tell me what to do and whether to put on a face mask. And everyone in Sweden is wearing wearing face masks. Everybody in Asia is wearing face masks, and we turn this into a political issue. How did we turn putting a face mask? Into a political issue. Please well, explain that. It's it's a medical issue, and face masks have been proven and, and stated right now, uh, but that uh, they're not safe <laughs> for personally for for people to wear face masks. So what do you mean it's not safe? Absolutely, that's not, that's true. It it clearly decreases if two people are wearing the face mask, it decreases the transmission rate by eighty percent. So uh, then that's proof. Then uh, let me. I'm trying to think of the uh, name of the organization, but our health organization. Who is it? The uh, CDC. C- yeah, CDC the, has stated that the uh, face masks are not effective. That was the, they said six. They said that four months ago. They changed. No, it. no, no. They, they changed, changed their view completely. They changed it back, Mark. <laughs> I do not believe so at, at all. Check it out. I Listen, do not believe the CDC. as as usual, we're out of time before we're out of information to discuss. But uh, nevertheless. 
I just genuinely, our listeners, I think, benefit from hearing uh, your points of view and my points of view and our discussions. So I just genuinely appreciate having you on the show. Again, visit HistoryCentral.com, HistoryCentral.com. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. All right. Coming up, and again, he's in Tel Aviv. So uh, I I think kind of filters uh, how information uh, is processed uh, based on where you are around the world, don't you think? I, I certainly think so. Okay, coming up, we're going to visit with Larry Reed. He is the President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For the best in food and drink, as well as great live entertainment, go to the Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar. Formerly known as Weekend Willie's, the Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar has terrific new local owners offering a great new upscale decor and a fabulous new menu. Linda and I are weekly regulars to hear live blues, but you can stop by anytime for great food and drink, to watch your favorite sporting event, or to hear great live entertainment five nights a week. The Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar is located at 5310 Shirley Street, just off Pine Ridge Road. And it's open from 11 a.m. until close every day. Visit the website dogtoothnaples.com or call 431-7004. That's 431-7004. I hope we'll see you there. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And the new season of productions is now online. You can get tickets now by going to the website, golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg. He's former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief right there in Washington, D.C., and author of a couple of books. Right now we have with us Larry Reed. He's also an author. He's a president emeritus of a terrific organization, the Foundation for Economic Education. Larry, great to have you back on the show. It's always a pleasure, Bob. Thank you. Thank you. So tell us about the Foundation for Economic Education. Okay, our focus is on high school and college students, and uh, we fill a gap that often uh, it needs to be filled because they're not hearing these ideas uh, in their uh, schools typically. But those ideas are uh, ones of personal character and free enterprise, small government, private property, respect for uh, lives and uh, other people's property. And we teach those things through the website, which is at fee.org, F-E-E.org, and also through in-person programs all over the country on uh, campuses and in schools. So I can, I'm sitting here just wishing that those Antifa folks had been through your programs. They might have a different view on life. <laughs> life yeah, right they have a lot more respect for life and property, for sure. Absolutely. Great organization. If you have a young person in your life, I just encourage you to, to have them visit the website. And if you're able and lucky enough to get them to go to one of the programs, it will be life-changing for the better. FEE.org. So, Larry, you write a great, great uh, article. Uh, and commentary on how the founders responded to an epidemic in the nation's capital. This is so interesting and timely. Maybe you can tell us about it. Okay. Uh, This epidemic that I wrote about was the 1793 uh, yellow fever epidemic, which was localized uh, to the city of Philadelphia. At that time, Philadelphia was the nation's capital. Mm -hmm. It would not move to Washington, D.C., 
by act of Congress until 1800. Uh, the Capitol had not been uh, uh, under construction yet, or not completed anyway, by 1793. So the national government was located in Philadelphia, as was the state government. Uh, it had not yet moved to Harrisburg. So uh, Philadelphia was the seat of, uh, of, of government, for sure, for the nation and for the state. And when yellow fever hit in August of 1793, it was absolutely devastating. People did not know and would not know for another hundred years that the carrier for it was a mosquito. Mm -hmm. uh, so they had all kinds of ideas as to where it was coming from. But the bottom line was, before the frost in early November killed the mosquitoes, uh, about 5,000 of the people of Philadelphia, which was a city of only 51,000, so about 10% of the people of Philadelphia died from yellow fever. That's an incredible death rate. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, they didn't have the information and the medical technology and so forth that we have today. So <laughs> this is so interesting. You talked about some of the ways that they were trying to treat this because they were trying to, uh, helping people use preventive measures like rolling in the mud and so on. <laughs> yeah, there's some really weird uh, things. Of course, uh, people were desperate. They didn't know where this was coming from. And so Lots of people came up with uh, strange suggestions. One was uh, dousing the victim uh, with vinegar. Uh, another one was, as you pointed out, earth bathing, uh, rolling in dirt. Uh, one guy claimed that uh, he had fixed it by uh, drinking several quarts of molasses. Uh, but it turned out that just gave him a lot of wind. Uh, and uh, other people were burning tobacco in the streets. And, of course, the old so-called remedies of purging and bloodletting were mm -hmm. uh, commonly applied. Uh, and Dr. Benjamin Rush, who was a great American hero, signer of the Declaration of Independence, and he did some uh, great work in helping uh, uh, comfort people during this epidemic. He nonetheless uh, favored the use of uh, a concoction made of mercury Oof. and jalap, which was uh, made from the roots of a Mexican uh, vine. Uh, needless to say, that didn't work. <laughs> in fact, it's so but, toxic. Uh, mercury in the body is just unbelievable. So uh, I think just uh, underscores how how much progress we've made in that regard. Now, tell us, uh, what did the federal government do all about do about this? Uh, the federal government did nothing. It had no constitutional duty uh, to uh, do anything. Uh, it didn't have any special knowledge that the local residents of Philadelphia. Uh, didn't have. I mean, they, the feds were right there on the scene in Philadelphia. Um, uh, and, uh, in fact, there was a debate between the Federalists within the Washington administration and the Anti-Federalists, basically between Madison and Jefferson on the one hand and uh, Alexander Hamilton on the other, as to whether or not the president could even uh, change the venue where Congress could meet, because it was due to come back in the fall to Philadelphia and that would have been in the midst of this epidemic, uh, Washington uh, decided that he himself would take the cabinet and move 10 miles north to Germantown. He wanted the Congress uh, to follow him, but uh, in the end, he had no power to, to do that. So Congress just kind of waited, and when the uh, epidemic was over in November, uh, a few weeks later, uh, they decided, okay, it's safe to meet. Let's go to Philadelphia, which is where the capital is. So they were never moved. Hmm, interesting. Now, keep in mind that with this epidemic, this yellow fever, I mean, when the, the death was just so foul and so painful uh, to watch these people die. When you think about 10% of your own population dying this way, and it, it wasn't behind the curtains of a hospital someplace, these people were, for the most part, dying at home. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, now, the, the, about 40% of the city of Philadelphia did leave. Hmm. and go out into the countryside for the duration uh, and most eventually move back. Uh, but still, of that total population, before 40% fled, 51,000, almost 10% died. And not everybody, of course, was bitten by a mosquito that carried the virus. So the actual death rate as expressed as a portion of those who were bitten is even higher than 10% for sure. Absolutely, and uh, you, you found uh, a description of how people respond to, to this uh, yellow fever, and the, it's 
just revolt. In fact, I'm not even going to repeat it. I was about to read a little bit of it, but it's it's pretty revolting for a morning show. So uh, I won't do that. But you know, the effects on human beings were just absolutely awful. So uh, again, the Congress they, they didn't say we're going to have guidelines for for uh, staying inside and all that type of thing. They didn't direct. They didn't try to direct the behavior of human beings. No, that's right. Uh, churches were never closed, for instance. Uh, and given the nature of the disease. Uh, you know, it's not contagious in the sense that it, it isn't carried by people. You can't get it from mm-hmm. another person. You have to get it from a mosquito. Uh, and uh, people didn't know that. So chances are there were as many mosquitoes in their homes as there were right outside. So even a lockdown might not have made a very much difference. But the point is the federal government understood its role, and I think that's the important distinction here is that uh, they stayed out of this and allowed and for the most part, human beings to make their own decisions. So certainly with uh, advanced medical help, things could have been different. And with the knowledge of how mosquitoes spread the disease, that would have helped. There's a lot of things that could have, with what we know today. But the important point is that what happened is the uh, government, federal government, allowed uh, human beings to make their own decisions about their own lives and their own safety. That's right. And to their credit, uh, the people of Philadelphia and the city government of Philadelphia I think, handled the crisis as best they could. Uh, the man who was mayor, uh, named Clarkson, uh, he did a great job in uh, 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 building some makeshift hospitals to try to uh, ease the symptoms of people who were struck. Uh, he organized private organizations to help clean up the city. Uh, he didn't know for sure you know, whether that would make a difference. He didn't understand that the mosquito was the carrier, but nonetheless, just cleaning up uh, stagnant pools of water and filth around the city uh, and the city's own wharves along the river uh, uh, surely helped to some degree. Absolutely. Again, uh, Larry Reed, President Emeritus of a terrific organization, the Foundation for Economic Education. Just so insightful and interesting discussion. Genuinely appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. And again, FEE.org. Check it out. It's terrific. Coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg. Jim is a former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. He's written a couple of murder mysteries, which are really terrific. The first is Follow the Leader. The second is Shake the Money Tree. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Do you or a family member suffer from chronic pain in your knees, hips, or shoulders? Joint pain can be a nagging and serious problem requiring expert and compassionate care. I know I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. Until 2006, I was suffering debilitating pain and deformity in my knees. I couldn't enjoy biking or golf or even sleep without chronic pain as a constant companion. Thanks to Dr. George Markovich and the professional staff at the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, my pain is gone, and I'm back to doing the activities I enjoy with no pain. I have a lifestyle I can only imagine. Imagine prior to knee surgery, and you can too. Call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. They will thoroughly evaluate your condition, provide personalized, state-of-the-art treatment, and help you relieve your pain and get back to your active lifestyle. At the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, your care will be professionally managed through every phase of your recovery. For an initial consultation, call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, located off Tamiami Trail in Bonita Springs at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulubee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-3889 or send me an email to bobhardenathotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. 
Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. I hope you check out. I'm proudly serving on the board, and you can find out more by visiting the FGA.org. We have with us, as I mentioned before the break, Jim McTagg. Jim is former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. He's written several books. His latest two books are Murder Mysteries. Uh, located uh, uh, the locus is Washington D.C. So interesting, using his background about uh, being uh, in Washington to for the murder mysteries. Follow the leader and shake the money tree are his two books. The shake the money tree is a sequel. Jim, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. It's a pleasure, Bob. Thank you, Jim. Hey, I've wanted to talk about the space launch that happened uh, this week, and it's so exciting. It almost uh, just brought tears to my eyes. I was so happy to see what had happened. What are your thoughts? Yeah, you know, I've been steeped in our space program for, say, the past six months uh, serendipitously. You know, first I went to a a book program by Christopher Davenport, who wrote a wonderful book called The Space Barons about, you know, it's about Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos and Richard Branson and how how these uh, billionaires have become space pioneers, passionately Mm -hmm. become space pioneers. You know, like uh, Bezos has poured over... uh, a billion dollars a year into his uh, Blue Origin company. Uh, Elon Musk, of course, just pulled off this triumph by sending a uh, the Dragon space capsule with astronauts to the International Space Station. And uh, uh, we've this is a great day because uh, in the past, uh, NASA became very stale after the um, shuttle program. The reason was the shuttle used to be built by a company called North American Rockwell, which was absorbed by Boeing about 1994. And so it, it sucked some competition out of the market. Right. You have one customer, the United States government through NASA. And then if you only have one producer, it's always a formula for disaster. Right. You, know, you get shoddy work, laziness. And NASA became a revolving door for Boeing. So, so you had well. In fact, you know, uh, President Obama redirected the purpose of NASA, uh, NASA to <laughs> create better relations with the Muslim world, if you recall that, which is so absurd. But irrespective, it's so great now to see a private company, SpaceX. I was so excited to see the success of that event, and then of course the hooking up with the International Space Station. What a terrific time for the you know in juxtaposition to this nonsense that's going on around the United States with uh, thugs and punks organizing and, and, and trying to destroy America. Yeah, it's a triumph of capitalism in the face of these demonstrations by a handful of people really in the scheme of things. Yeah. Uh, you know, the Washington Post today said the crowd that is outside the White House is about a thousand people, which you know, by Washington standards, is uh, nothing. Yeah. So, so it gets exaggerated. But here is a gigantic triumph of the free enterprise system. Uh, by the way, Barron's applauded President Obama when he decided to privatize uh, sp- uh, space. And the reason was, uh, if you recall, Barack Obama was trying to manage the economy, especially the energy economy, and it and and he was constantly picking winners and losers. Right. And it's one of the reasons that you know we had economic growth during his term, but it was it was slower than you would have expected, and that was one of the big reasons. Red tape was the other reason. So, but this one thing he did, uh, you know, which freed up uh, great minds like. like Elon Musk, uh, which fired up uh, dreamers like uh, Jeff Bezos, rich dreamers, it it has really boomeranged in favor of the country as, you know, we are really racing with China to establish uh, dominance in space. The Chinese have malicious intentions, and it's it's great that our free enterprise system has gotten us... uh, you know, ahead of the Chinese in the space race. Right. I don't know if you heard the president's comments after the uh, space launch. He was down there along with the vice president and their wives. 
uh, watching this, along with Elon Musk. It was so terrific, though, he made his comments. I thought it was maybe the best speech he's ever given. Uh, he commented about the, the uh, violence, domestic violence that's happening here in the United States, as well as the space launch. It was really moving, and I would say that if he gave speeches like that for the rest of up until through November, <laughs> he's, he's going to be he's going to win. No question, no questions asked. Uh, well. Uh, as problematic, him giving good speeches and uh, consecutive, consecutive good speeches. But the uh, uh, going back, you know, I, I'm a civilian member of the Army and Navy Club in Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I write some historic art- articles for the magazine. And it just so happens that I was assigned to write an article about a uh, lieutenant general named Arthur Trudeau, who headed the... Uh, you know, the Army Research and Development uh, Operation from 1958 to 1962. And what I had forgotten was that at one time, the Army was in charge of our space program. And and Trudeau developed a Jupiter-C rocket, hmm. which could boost satellites in the space. And the Army actually had a plan to put, uh, to build a base on the moon by uh, 1969 or the early 70s, uh, launching 11 uh, Jupiter rockets from around the globe, wow. ferrying men and equipment to the moon and back. And it would have cost about a billion dollars in, uh, in those dollars, which was pretty steep. Uh, but John F. Kennedy decided that uh, they didn't want to militarize space. And so, so they, they moved the program over to NASA and, uh, uh, but what was amazing is Trudeau was like a lot like Elon Musk. He got his engineers to build this Jupiter-C rocket hmm. in, in uh, three years. It usually took five. And he said, uh, he, said he, he ordered his people to make uh, rockets that were simple, reliable, and rugged, as near perfect as time and money will permit, then freeze it, fund it, forge it, fight it. So... Uh, I mean, there's advice for any industry, and he's kind of a predecessor of Elon Musk. Uh, So we've always had these uh, brilliant people, but um, it's wonderful to see people who who are billionaires taking their money and uh, instead of buying uh, super yachts, you know, putting it into something that will benefit. Yeah, that's that, that's so well said, Jim. I mean, the, and uh, what, what amazed me is to see these booster rockets come back and land like on a, on a pinpoint target uh and to be reused again i think the whole thing is so brilliant and his you know this has been preceded by some failures out of elon musk's uh, uh efforts in the past that he's seen a lot of failures so he's really it's cost him a lot of money he's stuck with it and by gosh it was just so terrific to see the success of this entire thing on this past weekend yeah and i would urge our cantankerous president to um to bury the hatchet with Jeff Bezos, who owns the Washington Post, because, you know, to to try to exclude, say, Blue Origin from NASA work, which he hasn't done, but he but we know that he doesn't like Jeff Bezos, and and he's you know in cloud computing and the Pentagon, he's had a role in in protesting uh, a contract that would have gone to Bezos. Yeah, well, he looked really the, the, the background on that, Jim, is that uh, actually the, the Amazon employee ended up in uh, the in the uh, Department of Defense, created the contract that only Amazon could qualify for. <laughs> I mean, the whole thing okay. was a fix. So, I mean, the president did step in and get that taken care of. But uh, I would say, yeah, certainly he should not stand in the way of Bezos spending his money to develop a space program. But the Washington Post, have yeah, you're right there in Washington. You've seen a change over the years. Oh yeah, it's it's actually an anti-Trump newspaper. Yeah, uh, that's its editorial policy. Um, so the question yeah, is, where no, should he have, where should he bury this hatchet? <laughs> yeah, but he, he, I actually, he doesn't actually dictate what they publish at the Washington Post. I mean, the editor they hire from the Boston Globe uh, does that, and yeah. there's a lot of internal debate within the Post. I know some of the reporters there. So there are people that feel the way we do that reporters should be like uh, Detective Joe Friday. Absolutely, just the facts, Wouldn't hey, that... I, I was just quickly going to add: we've time traveled to 1969. Riots, space launches, 
and everything turned out fine. Oh, uh, great, great point. Jim McTagg, again, just great to get your commentary. I got the book. I just encourage you to, it's there for great reads, murder mysteries. Follow the leader in the sequel is Shake the Money Tree. Jim, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. My pleasure, Bob. Uh, great interview. That was fun. All right, well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did enjoy it, tell your friends. Uh, that's like, and if you'd like to receive a copy of the newsletter that I send out daily, you can just send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. And include comments, too. I always appreciate that as well. Tomorrow, we're going to visit with Kathleen Pasadomo, our state senator. Uh, Boo Mortensen will be with us. Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. And Rick Graber from the Bradley Foundation will be joining us as well. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. <laughs> so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com. <laughs> <laughs>